Welcome, adventurers. This week, the rules of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, and how they affected the stories of Season 5. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Hello friends, uh, Season 5 has come to an end, and we're here on our episode where I discuss the rules and how they affected the stories. I just wanted to say that with Season 5 being so long, this isn't going to run exactly like uh, episodes of this nature have in the past. Uh, I am going to touch briefly on some of the episodes and then focus on a few things that I haven't gone over in previous rules episodes, so... Uh, the way this is actually going to work is I'm going to start with kind of a scavenger hunt. We're going to go backwards. I'm going to list a few things, uh, spells and such, uh, from each episode and tell you what episode they were in. And if you want to go back and check those out, feel free and see how I sort of turn some of the rules or uh, spells or abilities into narrative points. Uh, you can go ahead and do that. So uh, I'm going to kick off with that. If you don't have any interest in that, uh, go ahead and skip to roughly... The 6 minute 33 second mark in the podcast, and uh, that's where I will discuss the few rules that I've decided to kind of cherry pick out of the different stories uh, and discuss some things that I feel like I haven't kind of touched base on in past episodes. So, up first, scavenger hunt. All right, my scavenger hunters. Uh, first story, Soul and Seeds, episodes 66 through 68. Uh, I'm going to say go ahead and look in episode 67 we had a full-blown combat so if you're interested in combat in general you can go to the player's handbook chapter 9 read all about combat uh, again for this particular combat i used the shard tabletop uh, app which is if you go to shardtabletop.com uh, this combat that was written was completely played out with real characters and real monsters so that's that but so for our scavenger hunt uh, you can look for the lay on hands ability Paladin Ability, Player's Handbook, page 84. Uh, the Spell, Charm Person, Player's Handbook, page 221. The Sleep Spell, a Coldborn Favorite, Player's Handbook, page 276. And as kind of a bonus points one, if you want to look for knocking a creature out, which is kind of a non-lethal damage, yes, I didn't want to kill that person, uh, kind of think about how that episode, that combat played out, and you can go to Player's Handbook, page 198, and read the Knocking a Creature Out section. All right, moving on to the Fool's Errand that nearly changed the world, episodes 69 through 73. I'm going to say not much on this one, but I will have you look and see how a failed dexterity saving throw ended episode 72. And the successful dexterity saving throw began episode 73. Uh, you want to read a little bit more about saving throws, go to Player's Handbook, page 178. All right, moving right along. Child of Shadow, Child of Mischief was our next story, episodes 74 through 80. Uh, in episode 5, you can find two different cantrips, Thaumaturgy, Player's Handbook, page 282, and Light, Player's Handbook, page 255. In episode 76, we get to see the spell Disguise Self, Player's Handbook, page 233. 
Uh, episode 77 is the first time ever we see Rianok use her Invoke Duplicity ability. It's a trickster cleric ability and is described in the Player's Handbook on page 63. And then all the way to the last episode of that story, episode 80, uh, we see Duplicity again from Player's Handbook 63. We see the spell Charm Person from the Player's Handbook, page 221. And we see Disguise Self again, Player's Handbook, as I said before, page 233. But in particular, when you see it in episode 80, make note of how the height uh, restrictions uh, come into effect on that one. Because it matters. <laughs> All right, uh, almost done with our scavenger hunt. The Undying Emerald uh, was our last story, episodes 81 through 88. Uh, in episode 82, the spell Detect Thoughts comes into play. You can look in Player's Handbook, page 231, and it spills over onto page 232. Episode 83's got a lot in it, so if you want to go to a warlock favorite, Eldritch Blast, uh, you can try to find that listening through. Uh, that is on Player's Handbook, page 237. Uh, the good old-fashioned Cure Wounds. Look on Player's Handbook 230. You can listen for where that fits in. Tasha's Hideous Laughter makes an appearance. That's from the Player's Handbook, page 280, another spell. The Polymorph spell makes a big appearance. Uh, you can read up on that one, Player's Handbook, page 266. And then the kind of sneaky one in this episode is Death Saving Throws, which I will talk a little bit more about later. But you can listen and see if you hear where those come into play. Player's Handbook, page 197, speaks about Death Saving Throws. All right, skipping ahead to episode 86, there's a brief mention of some monsters in a cave. We get to see the Grick and the Alpha Grick, uh, Monsters Manual, page 173. In episode 87, keep your ears perked for the invisibility spell, which appears not once, but twice for two different uh, uses for two different groups of people. Uh, that's in the player's handbook, page 254. And then wrapping up our scavenger hunt in episode 88, the spell Mass Suggestion. It is in there briefly, but it is important as to how something happens. So, Mass Suggestion, Player's Handbook, page 258. All right, there you go. You have your mission. If you're going to scavenger hunt, have fun. Uh, go ahead and listen. And let me know if you get them all. <laughs> all right, I'm going to move on to talking about the episodes. And again, not going to talk in detail about each, but just a few things that I feel like I haven't touched on past rule episodes. So that being said, our first episode, Soul and Seeds, I really am not going to talk about a whole lot because I have talked about uh, background stories a lot in my previous rules episodes, and this one definitely is sort of a background story, and also it is a player characters meeting player characters episode, which I have talked about in uh, my season four recap uh in episode 64. So if you want to hear me talk about some of those things, go ahead and check out some of my previous rules episodes. And if you want to hear me talk about player characters meeting player characters, go ahead and listen to episode 64. Uh, but that's it for Soul and Seeds. All right, the next story, uh, The Fool's Errand That Nearly Changed the World. Uh, here I am going to take a moment to talk about something I haven't talked about in the past. Uh, I'm going to grab up my Dungeon Master's Guide here for just a second. And I am going to open it up to page 290, Appendix A, 
random dungeons. Now, what I wanted to say about this is in this episode, uh, Alarian, Ortival, Snare, uh, and a NPC that they have hired wind up in a dungeon. Uh, when I was writing the story, I didn't have a specific need for this dungeon to be anything in particular. I just needed there to be a certain thing inside of it. So instead of racking my brain and spending a lot of energy making a dungeon randomly from my own imagination, I flipped to this Appendix A, Random Dungeons, and started rolling dice. It's it's a great, you can look on page 290, you can start just rolling a d10. What room did you start in? Uh, you roll a one, square, 20 by 20 feet, passage on each wall. Uh, where do those passages go? You keep on going, you roll a d20, you roll a 10, continue straight 20 feet, comes to a dead end, 10% chance of a secret door. So it just, it goes on and on. And what's great about it is it really takes the pressure off if you're feeling uncreative or don't have any specific need for a specific thing. Or if your characters, as always, have taken you some direction you didn't expect or didn't know was coming and you wind up in a dungeon or you want to stick them in a dungeon. Uh, this appendix really allows you to just make a dungeon up on the fly. Uh, I found it to be super useful and was able to make a dungeon that I loved uh, that fit right into the story uh, without a whole lot of thought. If you keep flipping from the pages, it's got all kinds of stuff. Uh, what, Like I said, what the passages look like, uh, stairs, how wide things are, what doors are made out of, are they locked, are they not locked, are they stone? Uh, if you fl keep going, you wind up on 292 and 293, you even wind up like, what's the purpose of a chamber? Like, when I walk into that 20 by 20 room, what is it? Uh, you roll again, roll a 1, armory stocked with weapons. You roll a 15, it was a throne room where the layers' leaders hold court, uh, which is just great. Uh, so, again, this appendix is super useful and really worked for me, in particular to my needs or lack of specific needs, uh, all I needed was one chamber at the end to be a secret chamber holding a thing. So I rolled randomly, uh, added in passages until I felt like it got where I wanted it to be, and then I put the secret item there. So that's just a super great, super useful thing. So you can listen to that story and their exploration of that and realize that the result of that dungeon is completely random or completely made up from the tables contained in this index. So super nifty little tool in the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, starting on page 290. So take a look and use it if you want to. Okie dokie, that's all I'm talking about from that episode. Uh, the next episode, Child of Shadow, Child of Mischief. Again, backstories we talked about on this is a big one, so not going to go much into detail there. Uh, I will specifically say that Rianok is a cleric, so if you're interested in reading about clerics in general, you can go to the Player's Handbook on page 56, and that she specifically is a trickster cleric from the trickster domain. And if you want to read about what particular abilities will come with that, you can read on Player's Handbook page 63. Now I had also talked in one of my previous episodes about gods and are they interactive with your world or are they passive? Like if your character is somebody that uh, gets their powers from a deity, can they also expect to hear from that deity? Will that deity uh, influence them in any way? Uh, and I would just like to say for flavor in my world, obviously it becomes clear that being a trickster cleric uh, associated with the god slash goddess Cinder is one that the relationship is very involved. 
And uh, if you were to play a trickster cleric in Gloaming Keep, they are A, very rare, and B, uh, it's it's a relationship. There are whispers in your head that come from the god. So as a dungeon master, go ahead and think those things out. Like, what is that godlike relationship be? Can a player character expect to hear from that god or not so much? And as part of that, it's one thing to think about before your character starts and before you start your campaign so that when that character starts playing and they wind up hearing from their god or not hearing from their god, uh, they're not disappointed so that they know ahead of time this is going to be an interactive relationship with the deity or a very hands-off powers from the back sort of thing, and they can use that however they want in their story. All right, uh, moving on to the last story that I wrote uh, this season here, which was The Undying Emerald. Going to talk about one brief thing and one kind of wider concept that this is really one of the interesting things as I was reading it that really actually I hadn't thought about before, uh, but it got me thinking. So, on to the simple thing up front, which was death-saving throws. Uh, at one point, the our party is trying to get out of a very dangerous kind of criminal camp, and two of the characters are noted as going down, of being knocked unconscious. Now, in a game sense, that would be a point where they started making death-saving throws to see whether the character lived or died. Uh, and so Ketri and Rianok both wound up in this situation. Now, when I was writing the story, I just wrote and said they were both stabilized later. <laughs> My wife asked about it and was like, well, that seems unfair. And don't, what's the consequences if there isn't any? And because I felt back and I actually went back and rolled for each of the characters to see what would have happened. And here is what happened. When Rianok rolled, she went success, success. And I went, oh, great. She's going to live. And uh, then she rolled fail, fail. And I went, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, you know, come and come to and admit that I cheated. And then I rolled and a third success. So Rianok would have, in fact, stabilized. And so that story was accurate uh, and uh, and was verified by the dice, though it was close. So then my friend Ketri, the barbarian, of course, she is not going to fail me at all. It's going to be an easy and she's going to make my story uh, 100% accurate. Uh, Ketri rolled one successful death save, and then on my next roll, I rolled a natural one. Well, if you don't know what the rules are on that, that means you automatically fail two. So now she has one success, two failures, and she's one uh, one dice roll away from death. And again, I'm like, oh, geez, cheater. Uh, here you go. But uh, the gods of this realm and whatever other realms were with me, and she rolled two successes after that. So honest to all of the gods or no gods, whatever you believe in, uh, they both actually did stabilize naturally on death saving throws. So that's a brief side note on the actual story and saving throws and dice rolls I actually made. So there you go. The last thing I'm going to talk about, and like I said, it was something I hadn't really thought about until I started writing this final episode is the passage of time and how it affects adventures. Uh, I really started thinking about it when I was writing The Undying Emerald and Mela and her party uh, wind up where they're in the situation where they're chasing the shadowy figure that no one really wants to talk about. And the plan that they come up with is they're going to go to a city where they believe there might be some information 
and just hang out, basically uh, take false identities and keep their ears to the ground. And in the story uh, in Roshan, this is a matter of months and months and months, six months, I think, or seven months, I can't remember. And then even more time when they have to base, they find out some info, but wind up moving into a different city and in a more elaborate plan uh, to continue to deceive and continue to keep their ears to the ground. Uh, but again, a matter of months and months and months. Now, in a real-life campaign, you aren't going to role-play, at least not most likely, are you going to role-play something like this where you're undercover for months at a time. And it got me thinking that there's really no reason you can't get to a point in the campaign, come up with this kind of idea as a group of characters that we want to stake something out or, or, or do whatever, spend a lot of time searching or researching something, and there's no time that you can't just have this happen in game and say X amount of months have happened. And it's easy, it would be an easy thing to do with some sort of role as the dungeon master, have people roll for investigation checks, perception checks, but instead of having them apply to some small period of time, have it be kind of how the general overview of this long period of time that has passed succeeded. Uh, a perception check of 10 might mean that three months is seven months or three months is four months. Uh, an investigation check might mean a high success might mean you find somebody very quickly that has information that you want. And uh, a low investigation check might mean that it, again, took quite a bit longer to find whatever it is you're looking for. And there's no reason not to have these massive gaps in time. And the other thing to think about is this would be a great way if you don't want to play every last level 1 through 20 out for your characters. There's no reason to not write an adventure where you play levels 1 through 6 and then have this kind of interlude or side story where you basically take three levels off, like... Presume those characters are doing something and gaining more experience and that that time that was spent really meant something to them and let them level up. So maybe you have an adventure where you play levels 1 through 6, but 7 through 9 or 7 through 10, those level ups, you didn't actually play them. You just hop up to level 10 while you were in this investigation or searching for something uh, and that's just, that was that, I guess my brain always is kind of a linear thing. And so when I was writing this story, so what a great idea. What if you only want to play one through five, you know, 12 through 15 and level 20, you can easily come up with a reason or rationale why that's how a campaign plays out. So don't be locked down into linear thinking. Don't make it so that you can't do whatever it is you want, uh, play how you have fun. But I guess just this idea of, of having long periods of time that you're not actually playing can be a great storytelling element. And if you think about it, sometimes if you played level one through 20 and you described every moment of every day, you could really, your characters, a story, you could go from level one to level 20 in a month or less. If you, you know, fought this, then fought this, then fought this, then fought this. Uh, and that's kind of, to me, unsatisfying because one of the cool things about a prolonged campaign would be the fact that these people that are in the adventure have been together for time, for years, in fact, in some cases. 
being friends, forming relationships, and uh, accomplishing all these great deeds. So anyway, just a thought on don't let uh, linear time mess with your campaign. Uh, Go ahead and have big pauses, big breaks. Uh, if you need them, breaths and moments to write and remake the campaign, how it makes sense. And also for player characters, it gives them then the option to come up with some idea that takes a long period of time. Uh, that's that. So Undying Emerald, obviously it's specifically applied to with two huge kind of stakeout undercover portions of the adventure. And also I had mentioned uh, the fool's errand that changed the world. There was a period of time where they're just going from town to town doing research and looking for information on the Creastana there. Again, that was like a five or six month period. You don't need to play every bit of that out, but there's no reason to say that's not an important part or a valuable part of an adventure to say. And then it took this long for that to accomplish. So Don't be afraid to have those gaps. Don't be afraid to award experience points and levels during that time. And, uh, yeah, just let that be. Uh, At least that's my take on it or something I thought about writing those stories. And there you go. Those are the kind of new thoughts I had for this season. Uh, I talk about plenty of other things in past rules episodes, so if you're interested in any of those, hop back and take a look at those. But for now, that's the end of what I have to say about the rules in Season 5. I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for listening, and we will be back next week with a question-and-answers-type season review episode to wrap up Season 5. 